0: Certainly a blessing for each of us to be able to come together on this Lord's Day morning and to do so appreciating, of course, the greatness that God has showered upon us with this opportunity. Those songs that we just joined together in singing today, how beautiful they've been and how encouraging. Kneel at the cross, Christ will meet you there. We sang that, of course, as we began our worship service. Certainly as we give thought to songs like that one. And in fact, in our prayer just a moment ago, it was even lifted so beautifully about the subject of the lesson this morning. Brother Dennis, didn't, uh, I didn't talk with him about that, but the idea is going to take us directly to the Lord's Supper, and that's part of the title of the lesson this morning. For the next few moments, I would invite you to at least reflect with me upon some of the beautiful statements the remarkable description in the inspired Word of God touching the beautiful memorial that we call the Lord's Supper. This opening slide will be an introduction as it motivates some of what is about to follow. We all understand, do we not, that the worship of the God of heaven is a signally important activity. It must never be approached with trivialness. It must never be approached with frivolity or as if it is insignificant, but rather approached with a mindset of the boundaries that the Word of God has placed upon it. For instance, you and I know not anything can be concluded as a satisfactory part of worship. You and I are not allowed to turn cartwheels, say, down the aisle and claim that that is acceptable worship. We aren't allowed to do that which is our desire, but rather worship, of course, is directed to God. In many ways, that's an apt definition, isn't it? Worship consists of this, acts of reverence directed to God. What does He want? What is it He has specified, and so it is. As you move along that slide with me, we appreciate He has identified only a rather small grouping of things. Things like singing, things like proclaiming the Word of God, you and I often call it preaching. Things like giving as we've been prospered, we call it the contribution. Things in essence like prayer as we have done this morning. But also things like this which is exactly and explicitly the Lord's Supper. As we close that slide then, why don't we do this? Let's take just a few moments and rehearse the Lord's institution of it. For after all, what man or what group of men could have had the genius to institute it? For we have not that authority, but the Lord did. And so would you revisit with me some passages I've asked you to consider on this next slide. I will speak about some of these matters, and thus we will pause to read a few of the verses. But you and I know well that the Lord was reaching near the end of His earthly ministry. And just as any faithful Hebrew did, it was then a requirement, an observance if you please, to celebrate the Passover and that week of Unleavened Bread that followed it. And so it was that Jesus, on that Wednesday evening, He gathered with those particular close associates of His. We recognize them as His apostles. I've asked you to appreciate on that slide, as he gathered to celebrate the Passover. That had been a vital part of Hebrew life for a millennium and a half. Roughly 1,500 years since the days of Mount Sinai when God instituted that matter. In fact, it was right before that set of events. As the children of Israel left out of Egypt under the great blessing of God, you may remember on that night, that fateful,ly wonderful night, that they observed the first of the Passovers. As you can see on that slide, it was one of the major feasts which the Hebrews were expected to celebrate. Three, t- three of those in the year, and the first one was this one. On the tenth day of the month, they would take up a lamb. It would remain kept up until the fourteenth day of that same month, and then at evening, they would kill it. They would take of its blood, and on that first night, they put it on the lentils and the doorpost, and they had to stay in the house. And Jesus, or rather the God of heaven, had said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Exodus 12, verse, verse number 12. It is with that in mind that became a celebration annually that they not only appreciated, but they seemingly had high regard for. Later in Exodus 23 we remember that among the three feasts, that was one of them, that they had to make a journey to Jerusalem, or the place where the tabernacle was, so that they could celebrate it. As you and I come to the time of Jesus, again, we have traveled down the stream of a millennium and a half, roughly. And yet, these faithful Hebrews were still celebrating it. But this was to be a celebration unlike any other. For notice what happened on that slide. Now, they were accustomed to there being unleavened bread and fruit of the vine as a part of that feast and festival. But the Lord did something unusual on this occasion. I've asked you to note it on the slide. There came a time in the meal when, with unleavened bread, Jesus made an, an amazing statement. In fact, it should still cause you and I to almost gasp as we give thought to imagine what it would have been like in the midst of these friends, these associates of his, he said, and I've asked you to note the wording on the particular slide, take, eat, this is my body. But isn't it a wafer? Isn't it a loaf? Isn't it unleavened bread? Lord, what do you mean this is my body? Can you imagine at least at first thought the shock that must have been theirs? Maybe even a little bit of confusion, at least for a moment. But as the Lord made that statement, "'Take and eat, this is my body.'" You and I have a number of gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all which give us statements that harmonize to put together some of what you see on that slide. But I would point out that as you come near the end of that meal, don't forget about the the fruit of the vine. Because in Luke's account, which Brother Wayne read just a moment ago, that text again reads as follows. And he took bread, that he is Jesus, and gave thanks. So he offered a prayer of thanksgiving, if you please, for this loaf, this bread. And then it says he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. The solemnity, the interest, the moment that's described by a verse like that one. Could I again remind you that this is my body which is given for you. Now we all know that those apostles didn't didn't fully understand the fullness of what was to transpire the next day. In fact, later that night when the Lord was arrested, Peter was still confused, pulling out a sword to cut off the right ear of Malchus. And Jesus said, Peter, put up your sword. I can call twelve legions of angels to remove me from this moment, Matthew 26, 53. But he knew it was the Father's will. And the things involved were going to point back to some of the things we're about to study this morning. This do in remembrance of me, that verse says it's my body that's given for you. You and I know that was going to be a very tumultuous night. The Lord was going to be arrested. He was going to have some kind of a trial. And the next morning at 9 o'clock, He'd be put to death. He'd be nailed to a cross. I wonder how often from that point onward they could remember back that Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. But verse 20 goes on to say this, likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. So notice he has made reference to my body, speaking of Jesus, and now he's referred to my blood, his blood. And then he says, which is shed for you. In the same way that the body, He said, was given for you, He now says the blood will be shed for you. And again, the next day, in fact, through the character of those agonizing scourging and the circumstances about the nails driven in His hands and His feet, blood that was shed, they no doubt would then be able to recollect, to reflect, and to appreciate what it was that Jesus had said that previous evening. As you and I close that slide before us, notice they partook of these elements, this unleavened bread and this fruit of the vine. As they partook of it, I've again asked you to notice a statement drawn expressly from Matthew's version of these events. "'Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins.'" The blood of the New Testament. Now may you and I I not forget that night here was Jesus in their midst and yet talking about the shedding of His blood, talking about giving His body. You and I live roughly 20 centuries this side of those events. That night of that institution. And yet it still is so meaningful for reasons we're about to study for the remainder of our time this morning. The thing that perhaps is interesting to observe among the statements that Jesus made would include this one. There might be some who would think, well, those events are fine and that was meaningful for them. How do we know that the Lord intended this to be celebrated, to be kept, to be observed throughout all of time, even to come until our day? It is for that reason, may I invite you to note again Matthew's version, and it's verse 29 that I will ask you to appreciate with me. Matthew 26, verse number 29. Jesus speaking said, But I say unto you, I will not drink it henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In other places, we're well aware that the kingdom is referred to as the church. For instance, in Matthew 16... Verse, verse number 18 in particular. There, it's the church that is identified and specifically said to be the kingdom. And thus for the Lord to say, I'll drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, is His wonderful teaching about that in the church. He is going to lovingly celebrate the pristine power of that entire consideration as you and I are about to study this morning. When you and I take the Lord's Supper may we realize then several elements that are certainly a part of it. As you and I close that slide, could I invite you to know how many times in later New Testament references we discover faithful saints who were determined and dedicated to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The very first day the church began. Picture it with me. The day the church started... Acts chapter 2. A beautiful statement occurs in verse 42 of that chapter. And remember, as roughly 3,000 were baptized and became Christians that day, we find this unforgettable statement. They, that's the converts, it says, "...they steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers." From that day forward, they were faithful to appreciate the very thing that the Lord had instituted. Isn't it interesting that as the church began on that first day of the week, it was a Sunday. That's the day the church began. Not only that, go forward to Acts chapter 20 with me. Here it's the third missionary journey. We are over two decades after the establishment of the church, and yet... As Paul arrived at the city of Troas, it says that the brethren there came together for the Lord's Supper. They came together to break bread. It wasn't a common meal, as the context will clearly indicate to us. So when you and I celebrate that, we're doing what they did in Troas centuries ago. We're doing what they did on the day the church began. Not only that. It's interesting to observe the church in Corinth given to it as well. For Paul devoted more than a whole chapter in many ways to refer back to issues about taking the Lord's Supper. I might suggest at this point, we have yet to do that in our service this morning, but you know, and I know the emblems are on the table in front of me and also in front of you. In regard to these emblems, how should we partake of it? Does it matter? Are there some things that are critical expectations on the part of Jesus, which if we fail, then we really are almost insulting Him. We are taking of it in a way that is disgraceful and inappropriate. It certainly would behoove us to know anything He has taught about the celebration of the Lord's Supper. I would even suggest the name is significant, isn't it? It's not the Church's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. Paul referred to it that way in 1 Corinthians 11. And for that reason, we of course have maintained that name for it. First thing to observe. Here are a few things that are are important for us as we are vitally and spiritually strengthened in light of the Lord's Supper. The first order of business is to reflect on communion. Sometimes that word is used even, isn't it, in connection to the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have the following statements that point us to the significance of communion. May I read just a couple of the verses of that wonderful chapter? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 16 says, "...the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ?" Two times in one verse, once in connection to the fruit of the vine, once in connection to the unleavened bread, the word communion is used. I've asked you to reflect with me upon the meaning of that little word. The original word was koinonia, and it frequently is translated fellowship. In fact, quite often. And so in this instance, you and I appreciate that as we faithfully partake of the Lord's Supper, We are enjoying a fellowship with the amazing Son of God. Now it's true that we are strengthening one another, no doubt about that. It is an encouragement to you and to me to see other faithful Christians who are dedicated to the cause of God and who take that Lord's Supper. But may I suggest that it says here, a communion of the blood of Christ. It also makes mention of the communion of the body of Christ. And then this explanation is given. For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. You and I, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, enjoy a togetherness with none other than Christ. We, after all, when we obeyed the gospel, we became a member of His army. We became a member of His kingdom. And in so doing, we enjoy, according to this, a beautiful fellowship with Him. Did Jesus later say to, in Revelation chapter 3 that if you and I will open the door, He will in fact come in and sup with us and we with Him? Did He not say in Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? We have an association with Him in which we, by virtue of our agreement with Him, we walk with Him. And this first day of the week assembly affords an opportunity that that communion is highlighted. We enjoy being in Christ, to be with Him. I'm reminded of the words of Paul, aren't you? In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet tis not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul said Christ lived in Him. If you and I are faithful Christians, then through the power of His Word, He lives in us. He motivates our thinking. He motivates our words. He motivates our actions. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful statement of the enjoyment we have and the reality of our communion with Him. One last thing about that opening point. If it's a communion, then, that recalls to our mind His body and His blood, doesn't it point out the need for our humility? The need for abasing, if you please, ourselves. May we never take the Lord's Supper in a selfish way, as if we almost suppose that we are deserving of that which took place. But how often did the Lord indicate to us the need to appreciate our reliance upon Him? It is for that reason I chose to include point number two. In addition to the consideration about communion, isn't it interesting to notice, although it does involve elements which are digestible, elements which are edible, the Lord's Supper is not about physical nourishment. It isn't about that. That's not the thrust of it. That's not the basis upon which it was instituted. As you and I have already learned, that night, those Jesus and the apostles, as they partook of the Passover, they'd already eaten. There'd been a lamb present. There'd been other elements of a meal. Had it been about that, He could have instituted the Lord's Supper in connection to those things. But He chose unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. He reached a point in the meal when, with the other things set aside, He took this particular unleavened bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And in regard to that cup after supper, this is my blood. We understand He wasn't saying literally His blood was in that cup. But He was teaching a dramatic truth. It wasn't about physical nourishment. For that reason, the bottom of that slide, doesn't it remind us, sadly, what some in Corinth had been doing? As you and I read 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 18, we find that, amazingly, the church in Corinth had come to this kind of behavior. They'd bring their meal from the house. They'd eat a meal, and as a part of that, they'd take the Lord's Supper. Can you believe it? You and I today, as often as we enjoy perhaps church fellowship meals, dinners on the ground as it might be called, we understand that's not the Lord's Supper. That's not the time and the place to attempt to observe it. Because the Lord's Supper is not about physical nourishment. It's about something in many ways far greater and far more special. At the bottom of that slide, notice that Jesus said this, I'll not partake of it again until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. Highlighting again that communion and the idea of the spiritual value, the connection, and the spiritual meaning that this all brings. The third point, the one that follows almost directly from that one, would then be an emphasis upon the word that Jesus used. And He used this more than once. I chose to emphasize it as well. The word remembrance. This do in remembrance of me. So each of us could ask the question, how do I usually partake of that Lord's Supper? The kid in the seats playing. I'm making faces with him or her. Thrumming through the songbook. Thinking about the ball game I'm going to play tonight. Thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. You know, if we're doing that, the fault doesn't lie with the Master. It lies with me. Am I remembering? We all know what the word remember means. It means to call to mind events, things of which one is familiar. And in this case, it's not as though you and I were there at the time the Lord instituted it, but we have read about it. And we know what He has said. For that reason, this idea of remembrance is positioned like this. This do in remembrance of me. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's critical. It's crucial that we remember. It isn't the time to think about tomorrow's work. It isn't the time to think about the movies. It isn't the time to think about lunch, supper, any other particular thing. But to make an effort, a concerted effort, to think about the body and the blood of the master. It is the case on that slide. About the middle of it, I would ask that we perhaps be mindful of something. I suppose as all the elements of the worship take place, it might be easiest to let that one become a habit. Some gentleman's going to pass me this plate, I'll take a cracker, I'll eat it. He'll pass me a cup and I'll drink a little grape juice. Well, I've got that behind me until next Sunday. I hope that we don't allow it to become that ritualistic, a habit that seemingly is that meaningless, but rather as we partake of it, maybe to do whatever we need to do to encourage remembrance. Some people find it helpful to close their eyes and try to make a mental image of Calvary, the body of Christ maybe to think somewhat about the scourging that leads up to it and the events about his body being penetrated by those nails and his skin being so opened by the wounds that he had experienced. If that's helpful, might we seek to do that? Some perhaps better are able to keep their eyes open and have a mental image of Golgotha, the circumstances that surrounded it, and almost a picture what it would have been like to be there. Whatever may work better for you or me, it's important we remember. And in that remembrance, 1 Corinthians 11 maybe even addresses it slightly differently. I've asked you to reflect upon that passage, and so let me read verses 24 and 25. Keep in mind that these were words that were written a number of years after the Lord's institution of the supper. And so... As Jesus, in fact, had done that, now Paul is reflecting upon it, and by commandment he said, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me." And so I know that we have a consideration of it, but may we emphasize in our own individual heart the importance of remembering. Paul told those Corinthians, both with respect to the blood, namely the fruit of the vine, and with respect to the unleavened bread, it's critical that you remember. Not only that, lesson number four. Could I invite us to consider at least briefly that one of the additional things that we do as we partake of the supper is not merely looking backward. I know how important it is to remember because the Lord said so, but I paused at verse 25. May I point you to verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. You and I live in a world that needs the conviction of people who take the Lord's Supper, not only in remembrance, but as a steadfast determination and a steadfast proclamation. We believe in the risen Lord, and we're going to commemorate His death, and we're going to do it every Lord's day. And we proclaim till He comes back that very thing. You know, you and I are convicted about the events that took place at Calvary. Isn't it sad that there are people in our world who think that was a made-up story? They'll, to your face, tell you, Jesus never really died. He's just a fictitious character, some will say, who was made up. And you really believe it? You and I absolutely do, and we'd die for it, if, 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 if that's what is required. There was a man that walked this planet. He was the Son of God. He lived without sin. And He was crucified on an old rugged cross. And every Sunday, every first day of the week, due to our allegiance to Him, we will celebrate what took place at that time. These four lessons that have taken us to proclamation, I would suggest they speak volumes. But let's close our lesson with one final observation, and it's this one. It has to do with the way in which we partake of it. I mentioned earlier that you and I all could ask, so how am I supposed to partake of this? And we've learned that we are—we ha- need to remember. We need to remember what Jesus did. We need to remember His blood and we need to remember His body. But Paul even had one final thing to say, so may I continue reading this time in verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Those are strong words, aren't they? So if I take of this, and I'm thinking about the movies, or lunch, or work, or something else... If I fail to discern the Lord's body, if I fail to, in fact, as Paul would say, make proper discernment relative to what the significance of this is, he says, I'm drinking it unworthily. I'm taking it in such a way. It's damnation to my soul. Those are strong words. And they're words that, of course, was a problematic matter for the church in Corinth. They were failing in this matter. Because look at the next verse. For this cause, words have meaning. For this very reason, Paul said, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. There was weakness in the church at Corinth. Spiritual sickness, spiritual weakness, and even spiritual death. Why? Because you have failed in this. Today, could the same thing happen? Could something like that be true of you and me? Surely, if we partake of this, not discerning the Lord's body, failing to appreciate the significance of it, letting our mind wander all over the place, we have partaken of it in a way that isn't consistent with the remembrance that's required, the discernment that's demanded. And so, Paul used this word unworthily. Notice he used it twice. There are times when, as you hear statements made about that, sometimes a different word is used, and it's, it's somewhat sad. There are people who sometimes will say, well, I won't take the Lord's Supper today because I didn't live a worthy life this past week. Hear me, please. None of us will ever live a worthy enough life to merit the blood and the body of Jesus. It's not possible. He didn't say the word unworthy, it's unworthily. Unworthy is an adjective, unworthily is an adverb. It describes the manner in which we partake of it. And so it isn't a question of, is my life worthy or not? The discussion is, am I discerning the Lord's body? Am I examining myself and taking of this in a way that's consistent with what He's taught? And if we're doing that, we're striving to live faithfully. And we're motivated in such a way as to strive to live as He would have us to today. We're just about in a few moments, if the Lord spares time, just a few more minutes, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we close this lesson, we have learned things like this. It's a matter in communion, surely with one another, but more importantly with Christ. It's not about physical nourishment. It is about remembrance. And not only that, it is an open proclamation to the end of time about the grandeur and the sweetness. And as you and I seek to partake of it worthily, we know that that's what pleases God. Today, as we close this lesson, there could be someone in this assembly that hasn't at least at this point in time, has not done what you ought to do. Maybe you have appreciated that Jesus died for you, but you've never done anything about it. You've just lived your life with the hope that everything will turn out okay. May I assure you, it won't. Because at the day of judgment, we must be covered by His blood or else we'll be lost eternally. Today, if there's someone again in that situation... Don't you believe in Jesus, the one whom we've studied today? Don't you want to repent of your sins and confess His great name and be baptized? If you'll do that as He has commanded, He will add you to His church, Acts 2.47. As such, as you're baptized into it, 1 Corinthians 12.13, you will be able to enjoy the fullness of the position that that brings. If you have known a faithful life in Christ, but as of today, all is not well with your soul, you've said things, done things, gone places that you shouldn't have been said or gone, and you know you've brought shame and reproach on Jesus, on His church. You know you could make that right. And don't you imagine how sweet it will feel to leave this place with no guilt connected to any of that which you've done? It will have been forgiven. It will have been remitted. It will be gone. Jesus said, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's surely a great blessing. And today, if we could make observation of your belief and repentance, we'll pray to God on your behalf. If we could help you in any way today, we implore you to come. So too does the Christ, as together we stand and sing.